Seriously, Harleypool. First the monkey, then the canoeist, now this. Yesterday I read an article in the Hartlepool Mail saying that Hartlepool Library was running an all-day event celebrating great works of fiction. It's a shame that they didn't put the event on a couple of days earlier. They could have had a family fun day centred around the promises and statements of Farage, Johnson and the Leave campaign. It might have done some good and helped inform the voters. Instead, they chose to have their fiction day yesterday, and according to the Hartlepool Mail, it seems as if they've opted for a harrowing tale of a dystopian island where everyone's divided, the economy is collapsing, and fascists are rejoicing. No, sorry, this isn't the Hartlepool Library fiction day I'm reading now. It's just the actual news. 70% of people from Hartlepool... Hartley Fool, exactly. You see what I've done there? Inadvertent satire. My subconscious brain is doing comedy. Hartley Fool. Yeah, take that, Hartley Bull. Hartley Fool. Yeah. yeah. See, I can't help it. Can't help it. It's just got comedy coursing through me. And what I put down that was Hartley Pool, Hartley Fool, more like. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of gold that you get if you listen to the podcast. If you've got friends who read this. I read it, I don't listen. Oh, you should listen. He does little extra bits like this. I mean, he then, he then ruins it by analysing it quite a lot, but you just if you, as long as you've got your finger on the fast-forward button, you know when it's coming, you can tell he sort of slows down a little bit. And, yeah, you can skip these bits, but it's worth it. Even though he rambles like this, and this is, this is annoying now, but even though he does this, it's worth it for the gems... Like the time he said Hartley Fool. And that's, I, re- I went back and read it. It's not there. It's not there. It was completely spontaneous. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> 70% of people from Hartlepool voted to leave the EU. I'd like to think that the majority of these voters made a properly thought out and well-informed choice. And their decision to go against all the experts, 90% of the economists, and the vast majority of politicians was an educated one. But if the vox pops from the town or anything to go by, I'm very doubtful that this is the case. I saw a news report on national BBC TV news in which the people from Hartlepool were interviewed about their vote. There wasn't a single well-reasoned argument from those people who had voted to leave. With people just spouting nonsense about immigration, even though Hartlepool hardly has an immigrant population. We need to get the foreigners out so we can spend the money on the... And it's not wrong for me to do an accent because I come from Hartlepool. We need to get the foreigners out so we can spend the money on the NHS. As if there is a direct correlation between foreigners and free public health care. How will these people feel when they realise that the foreigners aren't actually going anywhere? And the NHS isn't going to get any more money ploughed into it? Farage and Ian Duncan Smith have already suggested that the whole 350 million into the NHS thing wasn't actually true. Plus, Farage has previously stated that the NHS might have to be privatised. So it seems as if these promises were untrue. Okay, maybe untrue is a harsh word. How about white lie? Yeah, that's nicer, isn't it? A nice, white, Caucasian, British lie. Ah, it doesn't sound so bad now, does it? It was a British, white, Caucasian lie for real, ordinary and decent people. You know the type. Not like those pretend, weird, indecent folk from London, Scotland or Northern Ireland. Not the vast majority of young people. No, they're the ones that aren't us. The decent people. How will they feel when they realise that they've been lied to? I mean, they were bloody livid when they elected Hangus the Monkey as the mayor of their town in 2002, who, after being voted in, reneged on his election promise to give all schoolchildren free bananas. The people of Hartlepool were furious! I mean, okay, this isn't quite as serious. I mean, we're only talking about free healthcare here, but, you know, still, they'll be pretty pissed off, is what I'm saying. There are a few people on the report who said that they had absolutely no idea why they'd voted to leave, but they just did. 
Other people said it was to get Cameron out, presumably for a more right-wing Tory government. Was that the plan? Because that makes sense. Then your voice will really get heard, won't it? My gripe isn't simply with everyone who voted to leave. It's with those people who didn't know why they were doing it, or were voting for specious reasons, like getting foreigners out, or as a protest vote. No one sees your vote as a protest vote. There's nothing that distinguishes your protest vote from a well-informed, educated vote. It's just a vote. On paper, it's just a vote. And if they're more leave votes than remain, guess what happens? Yeah, the leave vote wins. It's just basic maths, like one and one equals two. Unless those numbers that you're adding up correlate to British pound coins, in which case it equals 20 pence. The interviews were recorded at a bus stop, and you could see the 36 bus pulling up, which is the bus that I used to get every day to go to college, and then after that to go to work. But watching Hartlepool on the TV on Friday, the town really didn't feel at all like home. Normally, people I've just met will assume that I'm Geordie, and they will ask me if I come from Newcastle. And usually, I'll tell them that I'm from Hartlepool, dropping the H, as all true Hartlepudlians do. But, to be honest, I'm so ashamed of the ignorance of my hometown that I think from now on, whenever someone says, So, you're from Newcastle, I assume. I will respond with, Why are you, bunny lad? That's reet man. Up that tune. Oh, I'll probably just say yes. But you get the point. Well, I've written today's dollop very hastily. I'll write something a bit more interesting and considered tomorrow. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'm just saying that I will in order to get you to come to my website and listen tomorrow. Maybe actually it'll just be a recording of me farting. Although I suppose there's a chance that you might enjoy that more than just listening to a load of boring words. Oh well, come back tomorrow and we'll see what happens. There isn't a plan. I've decided to adopt the Brexit campaign's approach to this blog from now on. For the last few months, BBC Radio 5 Live have been solidly covering the EU referendum, and they've been playing out the same trail for ages. It's a ridiculous trail, as it chooses a couple of clips which don't at all back up the whole message of the trail, which is around the tagline, making sense of the EU referendum. But no one at Five Live seemed to have noticed and just kept playing out the trail relentlessly. The music starts, and then a voiceover man says, BBC Five Live, making sense of the EU referendum. There is then a few clips of people talking. One of them is a Five Live presenter who says, Now, we've heard from our panel of experts. Let's hear from some politicians. I don't think the presenter said this deliberately with any sense of sarcasm in order to bash politicians, suggesting that they are ignorant and unintelligent. But surely the people putting the trail together must have realised that's kind of how it sounded. I suppose with the benefit of hindsight, though, it is a rather fitting line. The other clip in the trail is a man saying something like, The trouble with this referendum is that no one is giving us any definite answers. And that's what we need right now. We want to hear people giving us definite answers about what might happen if we stay or we go. This clip makes no sense at all and is a complete oxymoron. Definite answers about what might happen. Yet it's been Five Lives' chosen clip to wheel out every hour for the last few weeks. And then, just to top the whole ridiculous trail off nicely, the voiceover man comes back to repeat the line, BBC Five Live. Making sense of the EU referendum. Hour after hour, day after day, this trail has been played, and no one seemed to have realised how ridiculous it sounds. The Leave campaign have been telling us not to listen to advice and not to heed the doom mongers when making our decision. And now our decision has been made, you might be a little bit worried about the falling value of the pound and about our trade. 
But there is something that people are overlooking. And even Boris, presumably in the chaos of everything, seems to have forgotten this as well and is yet to placate the British public by reminding us of this all-important fact. We have cake. Boris, in his campaigning, has explained to us on more than one occasion that we still will be a valuable exporter to other countries, even if we leave, because we have something that the rest of Europe wants and the rest of Europe needs. We may have lost our iron and steel trade and people complain that we don't make anything anymore. But that is ridiculous, because we do make things. We make cake. And we export growing quantities of stuff of all kinds to Europe. We export, I'm proud to say, we export cake in growing quantities of particularly dense and glutinous kind of chocolate cake. That's what Boris has been saying, coming across particularly dense himself. And we export growing quantities of stuff of all kinds to Europe. We export, I'm proud to say, we export cake in growing quantities of particularly dense and glutinous kind of chocolate cake. We export from Walthamstow to France. And then... Just in case there were still any undecided people who weren't completely reassured by this statement from Boris, he added, They love our cake in France. And our fears were allayed. They don't just like our cake, they love it. If the French were merely partial to our cake, then it might be a tad risky to leave the EU. But Boris clearly said that the French love our cake. Listen, he did, listen. They love our cake in France. Yeah. And so we can rest assured that they won't be enforcing any trade tariffs on us, lest the French people should revolt. Monsieur President, the people are revolting. Let them eat cake. That's kind of the problem. They are demanding we import the British cake. What's wrong with our French cake? Well, it's not quite dense and glutinous enough, Monsieur President. We've got our most esteemed scientists and chefs on the job to try and recreate the amazing British cake formula. But they're having no luck at all. It's either not glutinous enough and too dense, or too glutinous and not dense enough, or too dense and too glutinous, or neither dense or glutinous enough. But we just cannot understand how the British have managed to achieve this ineffably perfect dense and glutinous combination. Well... I suppose we don't have a choice. Lift your trade sanctions. Damn the British and their culinary genius. Thank you. You might be thinking that the French surely could, in actuality, easily make their own particularly dense and glutinous chocolate cake. There is clearly a gap in the market for locally sourced chocolate cake. Yet, the stupid French won't cotton on to this gap in the market. Because, as President Bush sagely pointed out, the trouble is that the French don't have a word for entrepreneur. David's daily digital dollop 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 dollop. Bit of an improvised jingle to celebrate the 180th dollop. 180! Today was the first day since Friday that I haven't been obsessively checking The Guardian or Twitter, trying to compute what has happened and what might happen. But today I've had a productive day and haven't looked at the news or Twitter much at all. And so in my own personal world, things returned to normal. And by normal, I mean making dubstep remixes of traditional folk songs. I appreciate that that may not seem particularly normal to most people. You can hear the fruits of my labour on Saturday the 20th of August if you come to the Folk East Festival in Suffolk, where I'm doing the young'uns in the mix. I'll also add it to the young'uns podcast. 
Talking of which, I really need to get the first Young'uns podcast of the year released very soon. I said that the new series would be coming out in April, but I've been so busy that it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, it's not as if it was a promise. It's not like I got a massive poster and emblazoned the news all over the Young'uns van and then just pretended that I didn't. Although, if I was pretending that I didn't, then I suppose I would say that I didn't. Hence the pretending element. But I didn't, so stop trying to trip me up. Yeah, you see, this is what I mean when I say that things have returned to normal, having pretend arguments with myself for a daily blog. Hmm. I think Farage was right about me. I'm not one of the ordinary people. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not even really that decent either. You don't want to know what I'm doing while I'm writing this. It's a wonder I can still use the keyboard. Although maybe I should stop. I mean, I might give myself an injury, and I wouldn't want to put unnecessary strain on the NHS. Give it a few months, and I'll be absolutely fine doing highly indecent and undisclosed and potentially danger-inducing stunts without worrying about putting a strain on our health service. But I appreciate that it's going to take at least a couple of months before all the foreign leave and the money starts rolling into the hospitals. Then it'll be amazing. We'll be deliberately getting injured, just for fun, and also to take advantage of the luxury hospital services. Hopefully they won't serve caviar every meal. I mean, it's nice, but I wouldn't want it every day. A bit of satire for you there, my friends. It's not what you'd describe as biting satire, but that's because I'm aware of the health risks associated with satire bites, and I think it would be irresponsible of me to give you any, in case it results in you needing to go to accident and emergency, thus putting unnecessary strain on our our NHS. But in a couple of months when the foreigners leave and the money comes rolling in, etc, etc. Yesterday, I watched the England match with Ben and Elsa. It was an odd atmosphere, as we all admitted to each other that we weren't really that bothered about England winning the match. The political events of recent days and people's attitude to non-English people had made us rather disillusioned with the country. Plus, Elsa is French. Obviously, she'll be leaving soon anyway in order to free up NHS resources. Am I right, Hartlepool? That's the plan, isn't it? Looking at my Twitter timeline, it seemed as if we weren't the only people feeling this way, kind of wanting us to lose. As the game went on and the Iceland goals came in, we started rooting more and more for Iceland. I suppose I wanted it to be a bit of a slap in the face to all those idiots that I'd heard on the radio and the television saying things like, We've got England back for English people. It's time to stand on our own two feet and show the world what we're made of. And now we can make Britain great again. Obviously, this slap in the face would be a figurative slap in the face. As much as I'd like to give them a literal slap in the face, I don't want to cause any injuries that might put unnecessary strain on the NHS. Maybe in a couple of months when all the foreigners have gone and the money starts rolling into the hospitals. Although I wouldn't want to give the stupid patriotic pricks the joy of being able to live it up in the luxurious hospitals being waited on hand and foot by their own personal butler. Again, checking my Twitter timeline indicated that others were also getting a weird pleasure from our apparent great nation being beaten by a country with a population of Wakefield. Not with the population of Wakefield, with a population of Wakefield. With a population the size of Wakefield. Iceland doesn't have the population of Wakefield. Have you not heard about that? They're trying to keep it quiet, but yeah, Iceland is made up of clones. They've taken, they abducted everyone from Wakefield in the night and then they took them to Iceland, cloned them and now Iceland is just a mini Wakefield. So actually it was a victory for England after all. (laughs) That's one of the extra bits that you don't get. That's the beatboxing and that little aside there that you don't get if you just read the blog. (laughs) 
Obviously, the truth is that we let Iceland win to thank them for being the first country to come forward after Brexit and offer us a trade deal. England clearly thought that we should be magnanimous and show our appreciation by deliberately playing shit and letting them win. Because, as Farage said, we are decent people. But anyway, it's not the winning, it's the taking part that counts. Although clearly this country has chosen neither to win or take part. We are out. Out of the EU and out of the Euros. Still, who needs the Euros when we've got something a lot more interesting going on on our TVs right now as this parliamentary debacle rolls on? Get a few of your mates round. Stick on the news channel. Maybe play a bit of a drinking game to spice things up a bit. Take a drink every time a Labour politician resigns or a drink every time someone renays on a key pledge of the campaign or every time someone says that there isn't a plan. Although actually, maybe best stay off the drink for the time being. You wouldn't want to put any unnecessary strain on the NHS due to alcoholic-related injuries or illness. But in a couple of months, once all the foreigners have left and the money comes rolling into the hospitals, then you can drink as much as you want. In fact, we'll have so much money that they'll probably serve free booze in the hospital, along with a caviar. A bit of slightly nipping satire for you there, my friends. I don't intend to spend today's dollop on another EU-based rant, but I am constantly astounded by Nigel Farage's lack of tact. In his victory speech on Friday, he trumpeted that Brexit had been won without a single bullet being fired, failing to acknowledge the fact that a Remain campaigner was shot by a man who claimed his name was Death to Traitors, Freedom for Britain. And yesterday, Farage addressed the European Parliament, saying, But what I would like to see is a grown-up and sensible attitude to how we negotiate a different relationship. Before immediately adding, Now I know, I know that virtually none of you have ever done a proper job in your lives, or worked in business, or worked in trade, or indeed ever created a job. But listen, just listen. (laughs) He seems to be completely unaware of the irony and the contradiction behind those two statements. If Farage ever gets tired of politics, and he could always work in the trails department at BBC Radio 5 Live. He's got the requisite skills, able to lace everything with irony and contradiction. Failing that, a marriage guidance counsellor maybe. But what I would like to see is a grown-up and sensible attitude to how we negotiate a different relationship. On Monday, I was waiting for someone at Huddersfield train station. A little way off, there was a man shouting at someone. Help a homeless man, brother! A minute later, he'd got a bit closer to me, and he was asking someone else if he could have 30 or 40 pence to get some food. Everyone he spoke to either just ignored him or apologised and then walked off. He then approached me and began to speak. I felt a bit bad just ignoring him. Plus, the words of that Phil Collins song were going around my head. You know the one. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord! And I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Oh, Lord. Can you feel it coming in the air tonight? Hey, you see what I did there? You see, you assumed that I'd be referring to a Phil Collins song about homelessness, didn't you? Another day in paradise. But I confounded your expectations there, choosing a different Phil Collins song entirely. And thus, hilarity was the result. Pick yourself up off the floor and we'll continue this anecdote. Excuse me, said the man. Good start, I thought. I appreciate a beggar with good manners. He was doing well, and if he played his cards right, he might well be coming away from this conversation with 30 or even 40 pence. 
Do you have 30 or 40 pence that you can spare, mate? I'm not sure why he was incorporating such specificity into his begging. I might have been about to present him with 50 pence, if he hadn't have been so rash as to underplay his potential bounty. I've heard a few homeless people use this approach of recent. In the past, it always just used to be people asking if you could spare any change. But now, there's more specificity with the begging. Perhaps this has some psychological grounding. People are more likely to give you money if you offer a suggested donation, rather than just asking for some change. But where's this tip come from? Is there a manual for homeless people, full of handy hints about how to effectively beg? Tip number one. Always approach from the left. We are neurologically wired to respond more positively to people if you approach them from their left, according to a recent Harvard University study. Unfortunately, this particular man presumably hadn't yet fully read the manual, as surely his next line contravened one of its key tenets. Do you have 30 or 40 pence to spare, mate? I've left my wallet at home and I need to get the bus home. Presumably he hadn't realised that I'd overheard his first two requests for money, in which he'd said that he was homeless and then that he wanted something to eat. I felt a bit annoyed. I know I might have been making light about homelessness in that last bit, but in reality I was sorry for his situation and was ready to hand over some money, but now I wasn't sure. He'd said too much. He was clearly lying about his situation. I thought you were homeless, I replied. Uh, what? The man seemed a bit taken aback by my challenge. You said to the people over there that you were homeless. Uh, did I? Said the man, before adding, Oh, yeah, well, well, I am. But you just said that you needed the money to get the bus home. The man didn't respond, but just stood there, seemingly surprised by my challenge. And I thought you wanted the money for food. Uh, yeah. He was sounding rather unsure and unconvincing. Then he said, I've got something sweet to eat, but I haven't got anything savoury to have beforehand. I'm not sure how he thought this explained the disparity of his narrative, unless his tactic was to distract me from that line of thinking by saying something unexpected. Now, I know that I might be coming across a bit obnoxious here. No, no, you're not, David. Oh, thank you very much for saying that. Obviously, I'm sympathetic to people who are homeless. I know it's only a very small contribution, but I have a monthly donation set up to shelter. I'm not saying that this gives me the right to make light of homelessness, although, to be honest, that's the only reason I give to charities, so that I can take the piss out of the people it represents. I mean, surely that's how it works, isn't it? So long as I'm giving them money, surely I'm allowed to piss-take a bit. I mean, that's why I'm having such a go at Nigel Farage all the time, because in actuality, I'm shelling out loads of money a month to support UKIP. Anyway, I was shocked about the homeless man's line about only having something sweet to eat and not having anything savoury to have first. I don't want to use the line, beggars can't be choosers, but you know. Plus, a minute ago he was trying to get some money together because he'd left his wallet at home and he wanted to get the bus back to his house. Now that I'd rumbled his wallet bus story and reminding him that he was meant to be spending the money on food, he'd manufactured a line about not having something savoury to eat to accompany his sweet. Clearly this guy hadn't read the manual. Surely the rule is that if you're begging for money for food, you get the savoury first and then, if it's a good day of begging, you buy yourself dessert as a reward for a good day's work. I wasn't at all convinced that this man was being truthful to me. There was something in his demeanour, and his story just wasn't adding up. Okay, I said in a friendly voice. Well, let, let me buy you something savoury. What? No, no, it's all right, mate. 30 or 40 pence will be fine. I tried to reason with him, explaining that 30 or 40 pence wasn't going to get him a meal, and I was happy to buy him something substantial to eat. But he just kept saying that 30 or 40 pence would be absolutely fine. I tried highlighting that 30 or 40 pence wasn't going to be enough for his bus fare, and that I've been standing here now on the street for the last five minutes, and so far, no one has given him any money. But he just kept saying that all he needed was 30 or 40 pence. More doubt crept into my mind. But it wasn't doubt about this man's credentials as a beggar, but 
at whether I was doing the right thing to be challenging him. Everyone he'd asked for 30 or 40 pence had refused, presumably if he was standing on the street asking for money. Then he must need it in some way. Yes, his story might keep changing, and he might be lying about being homeless, but surely you wouldn't stand on the street asking for 30 or 40 pence and then being continually knocked back unless you really needed that money for something. And who was I to play judge and jury over this man? So, feeling guilty at contesting the authenticity of this man, I gave him a pound, and I didn't even ask him for 60 pence change. And then I apologised for challenging him and wished him a good day. He muttered a thanks and then walked off. A few seconds later, he was asking someone else for some money. Excuse me, mate. I've left my wallet at home and I need to get the bus. Later that day, back in Sheffield, I had a couple more encounters with some homeless people, but that will have to wait until tomorrow. Hopefully you'll join me then, unless you think that this anecdote has shown me to be an obnoxious prick. In my defence, though, I was the only person in the ten minutes that I was standing there who gave him any money. I await your verdict on my behaviour. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 183. Dolloping from a plane on the way to Brussels. I am writing today's dollop on a plane heading to Brussels. In case you hadn't gathered that from the title. Just as you thought this week couldn't get any weirder, I've been chosen to be the person who hands over Article 50. No, obviously I'm just being hilarious there. We're actually playing a festival in Belgium this weekend. We've already had a few requests from some of the Belgian audience, but we won't be doing any of them, as we don't have to take orders from Brussels anymore, do we? And we'll be doing all our Hartlepool songs, just to piss them off even more. I've also written a song comprising words from Farage's speeches. Oh, it's going to be a right laugh. At the airport, an announcement came over the PA telling us to have all large electronic items ready for inspection. She then gave a few examples of things that this applied to, including laptops, notebooks, tablets, mobile phones, but then, right at the end, she said, and kettles. Kettles? Why specifically kettles? How many people are coming to airports and bringing their kettles with them? And it didn't sound like she was just making a bit of a joke. The announcement was very serious sounding. And it was one of those automated voices rather than a live announcement, meaning that someone had had to have written this list down and then given it to someone to read, knowing that it would be repeated throughout the airport time and time again. I'd have thought that when the person was writing the list for the voiceover lady, they might have written the word kettles and then thought, hang on. Kettles? Is that really necessary? I mean, this voiceover woman is going to be paid by the word. Is kettles really necessary? Did they write down a list of loads of other domestic appliances, such as toasters, microwaves, blenders, bread makers, and then think, hmm, yeah, this list is going on a bit now, isn't it? By the time this announcement has finished, most of the people who've heard the start of it won't be in the airport by the time it's ended, that have gone off the plane and arrived at their destination. Hmm, I think I should probably whittle this list down a bit. Yeah, obviously I'm going to keep the cat. I mean, that's important. I think the inclusion of the kettles on the list serves merely to add more confusion rather than clarity. I'll hazard a guess that the vast majority of people going through an airport will not be bringing a kettle with them. Have any of you who are listening to this... Hello, by the way. Hope you're enjoying this. Sorry if it's a bit rubbish, if it's a bit lacklustre. I'm finding it hard to concentrate and writing this because I've got Michael and Sean chuntering in my ears. But have any of you listening to this brought a kettle through an airport? And if so, why? Do you not trust foreign kettles? Are you a kettle xenophobe? 
But I would argue that all the mention of kettles does is to add unnecessary confusion. Because if there are people who are carrying toasters, microwaves, blenders or bread makers for instance, surely they will now just assume that they are absolutely fine to keep those items in their luggage and not check them in for special inspection. Thus causing extra holdups. Surely by signalling out kettles above all other domestic appliances they are tacitly intimating that kettles are the exception to the rule and that all other domestic appliances are fine. And what's the big worry with kettles? Not being a terrorist, just in case you were wondering, and not wanting to cause harm to other people, I've never really thought about the kind of evil that could be exacted with a kettle. I'd have assumed though that a toaster or a blender or a microwave could hold a similar potential as a weapon. If there are any terrorists listening to this, then feel free to leave a comment. Don't worry, there is an option to leave it anonymously. Maybe the airport staff knew that I was in the airport and made the kettle announcement as a sort of tribute to me, given that I've already written a few blogs about kettles in these dollops so far. Either way, it's nice to hear another blog about kettles, isn't it? It's been a while. Let's just hope, though, that there isn't any kettle-based terrorist activity that occurs in the next few days. Otherwise, I'm going to feel pretty bad about this dollop. If there are any terrorists listening to this, then please can you avoid any kettle-based atrocities. If you've enjoyed these dollops, then come on, it's the least you can do. Maybe use a toaster or a blender instead. That'll prove my point. I'll look better. People will say, he warned us. He did warn us. So, all right. I'm doing a daily blog. I'm not sure this experiment is going to go very well. So, what I'm going to do is, have you heard of the comedian Eddie Izzard? No. Eddie Izzard is an English comedian who can speak French and German as well. And he did some stand-up comedy in English. Then he did the same set in French. Then he performed the same set in German to three different uh, languages. And so, I'm thinking maybe... I'm going to try this now and extend my blog to Flemish and I want to see if it translates. So I have, I have put my blog into Flemish and I want to know whether this works or not. Yeah. Here we go. This is the first sentence. I'm going to take a sentence at a time and see um, how it goes. Op de Lutzhaven in Anconedigin quam over de pa ons tevetelen om al grot elektronik apparatus klar vo inspecti hibin. Ik begrijp wat dat hem zegt, maar... Any idea what I'm saying yeah. there? When you arrived at your, the, the airport, the, there was a message to tell you that you had to keep your ele- electronic stuff ready for inspection. Sie gaf dann in paar wo bilden, wo bilden, wann duen die dit toge past waron der laptops, notebooks, tablets and mobile telefonos. Telefons. Okay, so yeah. what is She it gave some examples of what she yeah, meant yeah. with yeah. electronic yeah. Perfect. Ma dann helemaal an hot end so hot end the the in water cockens <coughs> then again this is confusing me because then it says water cockens ke- kettles 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 but it's kettles it's like to yeah. boil water it's to boil. Kettles. It is. it's about kettles warm specific 
Specific. 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 Kettles. Kettles. What am I saying there then? So, the, in, in quotes, you've got the announcers going, and water cockers. And I say, kettles. Kettles. Warm specific kettles. Yeah, you are. So, so she says, hey, you cannot bring, uh, you have to show for inspection your laptop and well, everything. And yeah. also, uh, water, <laughs> co- water cockers, kettles. And you ask her, why specifically? Yeah, that's what you okay, said. Okay, so yeah. now we, we bring this on. This the is common, a story you invent? The comment, this is true. This, this is true. happened? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, and yeah. wherein lies the comedy? It's she says a, to you that yeah. you have to show your water, Eddie your Izzard, kettles if you have one. It's like Eddie Izzard, everyone. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. think I'm getting yeah. crazy. I don't understand. Yeah, this happened, no, no, this is good. This happened. Yeah, this it's happened. a real story. And that's why the laughter, that's why the hilarity ensued. So, Huyville or Huyville? Huyville. Huyville. Menson. Yeah. Comen. Comen. Na Luchthavens en Brengen. Yeah. Hun Kettel met hen. So what am I saying there? Yeah. How many people uh, come to the airport and bring their kettle with How them? How many people? That's a good observation. There's a six-year-old child getting this now. How many people come to the airport? I'm like Eddie Izzard. I'm like Eddie Izzard. There's a six-year-old child laughing at this. En het klonk niet alsof ze het maken van den grap. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, that's... What saying that? Yeah, it, it was not as if she was telling a joke, eh? Exactly. She's but not, the, the construction... Me, I'm laughing at this. We're breaking down the barriers here. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah that's zou gedacht. Gedacht. Hangen vote kokes? Is that ek nodig? Vote kokes? Is that echt nodig? Is that really necessary? Exactly. Kettles? Is that really necessary? Like, yeah. why would you put that on the list? Yeah. Exactly. Hence the comedy. Des dan Izzard. Zal verden be told do het vod. What am I saying there? She will be paid or she would be paid by her word? So she's getting paid by the word. Everything ah, she yeah. says, she's being paid. So why? You'd thought, yeah. well, this person has thought, well, do we really think kettles is necessary? Because she's getting paid for every word yeah, that she says. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah okay, so yeah. So that's why then, this one is on the list. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So then you say, is Vote Cockers heaven the Opsjrijven in Lidst? Let's. Van Tal Van E Andera Huishaudelijke E. What was that? Huishaudelijke. 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 Apparaten. Apparaten. Zoalas. Zoals. Broodroster. Broodroster. Magnet. Trons. Trons. The microwave. Blenders. Blender. A brood makers. Brood maker. And denk dan. That, yeah, that you should uh, add to the list other things like uh, a bread thing, uh, a, a microwave, a blender. Uh, yeah, why not? Why are they Why, why only the water cookers? <laughs> bit of observational comedy there. <laughs> that you get Michael McIntyre doing this, dear. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for, this, for listening. Goodbye.